everyone. Welcome to Documentation Not Included, a tech industry podcast presented by DNI Stream, the live knowledge repository for software professionals. Ta-da! I did it. It's Thursday, 7 p.m. British time. We are live on twitch.tv slash DNI Stream. I am Josie Howarth, and as always, I am joined by the man whose beard has grown more epic than I, I think I have um, ever had the chance to see in my uh, connections and time with him, Chris Seabock. It is, it's getting out of control. I, I was looking in the mirror today and I, I, I've got this one little bit that I play with all day, all day, and it just will not control itself. And I'm not going to be able to get it cut either. I don't trust my wife with a pair of scissors, so no chance. What? But anyway, yes. So, I've hello. got my husband's hair. <laughs> hello, Josie, and hello to everybody in Twitch chat. Uh, please do get involved. This is a live show, so we uh, will take comments during the show. You may get a, a mention. You may even get a little pop-up if you're lucky because um, we've got a new little tool to do that. And before we get going, let me introduce our guest today, Zane Danielle. Danielle, I've probably said that wrong, even though I've asked you just before the show. That is correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, hello, Zane. Please do introduce yourself to our, our listeners and uh, tell everybody who you are, what you do. Yeah, I'm uh, a data strategy consultant. Uh, I do uh, basically uh, sort of contracting uh, and have multiple clients. Uh, so, yeah, I'm basically in the... Uh, artificial intelligence space and data and uh, working with clouds. So uh, clouds is in Azure, GCP and AWS, not uh, another class like you. Cumulo, Nimbus, <laughs> other fantastic cloud names. Well, only the three because uh, it, it just gets, uh, really, well, now there are quite a few actually. So, uh, but uh, I think that it's best to kind of uh, focus on uh, the main ones. Yeah, if it's any consolation, I tend to just stick to Azure these days. I do know a little bit of GCP and AWS, but I tend to just stick to just... Uh, yeah, I kind of come from a Microsoft background, so that's where I kind of stick, you know, put my... I, my find, uh, I find GCP quite uh, quite nice. It's just really serverless. It takes... Although now I've seen, you know, Azure SQL Server is also rolling out a serverless option. Uh, but I just find it's it's just nicer to work with uh, mm. for certain things, at least for for analyzing big data, um, and then doing all the joint statements and and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So before we get into any any detail, which uh, I'm sure we'll get into plenty. Yes, it's icebreaker time. This is a random question that we ask before every show, and it's always a random question because it's just a chance to. You know, get to know ourselves, our hosts, and our guests a little bit better. So here's our question for you today. You have just been put into witness protection. What would you like your new name to be, and where do you want to live? Uh, <laughs> well, I know incredibly where, random. I know where I want to live, and that's in a log cabin somewhere very remote, well away from computers and, and everything, uh, technology and everything. Because I might as well, if I've if I've got nothing to keep me here anymore, just go for it, you know? Live naked in a wood somewhere. And yes, Mike, this is also a question for the chat. So if you have any name that you might want or place you want to be. And name-wise, I've got I... no idea. Go on, Zen. Mm. I can't think of anything. <laughs> you know where uh... you want to be? Where you like, live? I would definitely prefer, you know, something uh, similar to Chris, something uh, remote and uh, nice. But I wouldn't want it to be so disconnected that, you know, it's just too far from, uh, you know, you can't. I would, I would prefer internet connection still. 
I'm, uh, I'm with you there. I mean, I do. I say that that's idealistic in terms of. I'd love to just disconnect, but I, I also really love what I do, and I also really love coding and enjoy creating things on my computer because I don't just use my computer for writing code and doing my work. I use it for entertainment. I use it for so many different things. You know, chatting to my friends, keep it even when we weren't, we aren't quarantined. I use it for talking to my friends that are all over the country, all over the world, in fact. So you mm. know, I, I use it for this. This is a hobby slash kind of professional but you know I, I it's it's important to me but it's some there's something about just disconnecting yeah yeah see for me i would just move to a different country i'd probably end up in like canada <laughs> like i am so simple but as to roughly about my name i don't know but i kind of like the idea of something like madam like Zelda or something crazy or weird or something like that, where I could be that crazy cat lady and I would build a new name for myself as the slightly absurdist kind of neighbor. And I would like put up garden gnomes or something that is completely antithesis to me. Like I see a garden gnome now and I just want to kick them. They're they so annoying to me, but I would embrace the idea of that neighbor you talk about. The one that is just weird, who's always got like fresh cookies and bread and, you know, stuff like that. But she's just that little bit weird, that little bit touched. I'd embrace that. But yeah, yeah. so that's me. <laughs> I think name wise, I don't know why Harry just springs to mind. I'd want to call myself Harry something. But when I was a kid, I wanted to be called Mike. So maybe Mike. It's, it's it's funny you say that because Mike, uh, one of our uh, live watchers, has uh, said, I want to be Mike the Liar and place somewhere no one would look for me. So obviously in a place like Skyrim, right? Up a tree. Up a tree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the sky with you. Yeah. Anyway, right. <laughs> Let's yep. move on. Let's move yes, on. Yes, to the topic. Yes. So we're going to be br br like broaching into a subject that I know very little about today. Now, I know about it and on the kind of the outside. I, I know a little bit about um, how it works and how it's evolved over the years. And I know a lot about the uh, kind of chaos theory surrounding it or the um, the potential future of, of uh, dangers of the future of it. So we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence today, which people who are watching the show can already see that down in the bottom, bottom left-hand side of the screen. Um, so we're going to start with a question. Because um, Zane is our resident AI expert, he's uh, he's come here to he talk about a lot more than we do. Hopefully, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. and I'm hoping I'm going to learn a lot as well today. I'm hoping I'm going to learn a lot about how to how to do certain things or or what the use cases are for it. Because the things that I do on a day to day basis, I put systems together, and I sometimes need to work with well, a lot of the time I need to work with large amounts of data, and I need to work with machine learning. But usually, somebody else has already done a lot of that work, and I'm kind of using the output of it in some way shape or form um so can, can i just jump in here because i think this is really worth a distinction we've had a comment about skynet in chat already now zane how many times have you had you say i'm involved in ai and people mention skynet and terminator to you frequently right well, yeah and well, quite yet, a lot yeah we can, we can talk about that as well but yet what i find fascinating is when i hear uh ai 
It is not about the Skynet and the computers and things like that. It's more about building algorithms that have very specific, unique purposes that do incredible things. So, for example, a lot of startups like we've, you know, built an AI that works in figuring out the best way to handle the pressure of water versus this particular liquid inside ballast tanks on a ship. Like there's some different types of AI. So defining AI between Skynet... <laughs> versus practical use might be a good way to start. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great way to start, actually. So the thing is that um, you have, obviously, we, we all see movies, and there are great movies out there. Um, the thing is that it's, and there are communities out there who are trying to uh, build this thing called a artificial general intelligence, that it will generally do everything um what we may imagine and they are trying to work towards it but as you just mentioned Josie that we need focus and it is the the sort of thing that uh, what we'll see in the future in the re recent future and uh, in the future um in the near future uh, going forwards is that it's basically those small focused uh practical applications that uh, will be, you know, that where AI is being used. So I would say that think of AI is a bit like a machine or just a, like another uh, machine, of how you would think of um, uh, like a grinder. So imagine, you know, you're living in times when there was no grinder and the only way you grind things is basically you push, you know, with a very heavy uh, stick or something to uh, onto a stone and you're basically grinding, but then all of a sudden you have electricity and you have a machine which is basically grinding. And it's it's a simple thing. It's basically um, AI or you know the technology behind AI would be used for things which are practical, small, and something that it can do really really well for that particular small purpose. And we'll just use that in a lot of different uh, aspects in a lot of different applications. Um, so one of them being uh, currently, you know, uh, facial recognition technology. And uh, with the current technology in terms of the, um, the AI algorithms, as well as um, the, 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 the availability of algorithms for the open uh, public um, and the tools such as the GPUs available, uh, you can easily purchase. Um, and many of them have been, you know, are used for gaming purposes normally. Mm -hmm. uh, they, the combination of these two, it's is is basically something which has allowed for uh, technologies such as the facial recognition to be much much better. And that's basically a small niche thing. It's and that's all it's supposed to do. So, so it's not designed to say make your coffee and then help you decide how to solve world hunger. Its entire purpose is a very driven, specific task. It, it might be yeah. to make you coffee. <laughs> well, there are truths. <laughs> exactly. Um, Tultepe brings up an interesting question. He says that for me, the first thing that comes to mind is machine learning. But he's not certain if that's the same thing. So there are different things. So machine learning is just a branch of uh, artificial intelligence. And uh, that's to do with, uh, and even machine learning has a lot of branches within it. Uh, and within, outside of machine learning, there are other things um, which we, I would say, some of them we have, may have already mastered 
in terms of you know programming wise we have already done them we can already program them and they're easily uh, available on github um, and some of them are basically something too advanced that we cannot do right now with current technology uh, that includes algorithms available as well as say you know the limitation of uh, computational power so gpus or uh, cpus um, so now, and one of them is basically actually designing, say, if you want to go from um, if you want to go from one place to another, there are algorithms uh, in terms of how do you uh, structure your uh, flight plan or how do you structure your travel plan or what are the different steps you need to do. Uh, certain things are certain things like that, although they can be done with uh, you know you you have, for example, Google, you can actually just plan. Um, but there are certain uh, algorithms out there which are much more advanced, and it's it's simply not possible right now. Uh, so machine learning is a very small branch, and it it is, uh, and I can actually talk about. In fact, it's probably a good time to talk about machine learning, as in, um, uh, why is it machine learning that has got famous all of a sudden, or in the current boom at least, and not uh, the other branches? Um, Have we defined machine learning? Because I mean, I've heard the term a lot. Um, I broadly know what it is, but I still I, I don't really know where I would use it off the top of my head. As a as a system architect, I wouldn't know when it would be applicable within a particular system. So if I'm so, okay. there's so, so many different types of systems. Context, that we, yeah, sure. I think defining would be difficult, um, but I can definitely give you where you would use it, or in the in in the sense that how uh, where it differs from data or normal data, right? That that we can start with. So the thing is that, for for example, if you have a problem uh, where um, if you are, say you have a lot of data, you probably do deal with a lot of data, uh, you know, very big SQL uh, databases. Um, and uh, you can do a lot of uh, things in terms of, you know, joining the different tables and you can answer a lot of questions just by basically simply manipulating data, manipulating queries. Okay. Uh, However, for example, uh, if you are working on a problem, I'll give an example. Um, you have um, you have you know drainage data. So you have uh, you know drainage data in terms of if the pipe is clean or how dirty it is, and um, what do you expect it to? Uh, uh, what, what, how do you measure that uh, uh, condition of the pipes or drainage? And then you have, say, you have another source of data. You have uh, data in terms of when the pipe was full, and uh, and uh, how often. So yeah, how often does it seem to get full? Because you have, say, a data of uh, like a transactional. Say, um, the pipe was full here on this day. It got full again. It got full, and then it was say with uh, with all the data uh, transactions you actually have in terms of quite detailed information which is say um, it was 7% full or 50% uh, full or things like that, right? You have quite quite detailed data. And then you have another piece of data. You have say weather data. Obviously it rains and it got full because of the rain or uh, something happened. Now the thing is how do you put them together to say, can we solve this problem in a way that we have weather data, we know that it rained, and we have uh, um, data of when and how much the drainage pipes were full and how much they were full when they were full. 
And we also have the condition of the pipes and the condition of the drain drainage, if they're dirty or clean, uh, and how much water there was already. Uh, can we kind of form a relationship or can we solve this question using all the tools available? Uh, and that by that, I, I only mean, um, say, SQL queries or just putting together, is there any sort of join you could do? Yeah. yeah. The thing, that's sort of problem you cannot do. That sort of problem you have to uh, basically solve using building a, a, some sort of an equation in terms of relationship between uh, the the water, how much water, Oh, how much rain are we expecting and how much uh, water should we expect in the flooding hotspots uh, based on the condition of the pipes. Now, that's a relationship of, uh, say, just three uh, different uh, uh, variables. Mm -hmm. And you are attaching some sort of a, um, a number, some sort of a number that, you know what, uh, in this particular area or if for this particular pipe, so in this particular area, we expect uh, you know two times as much compared to the other area. That if it rains, then it's two times as likely because the pipe condition is not clean, uh, or something else is stuck where the pipe meets you know other pipes, things like that. So that's sort of sort of a relationship that you want to form, and that cannot be done by the normal methods of you know joining tables or. Uh, Can or, it not be done know, because of the sheer amount of data? Is that what we're talking about here? Because there's so much data available, or because it's real time? What's because what you've explained to me? Both, both really, yeah. Okay. So, uh, for example, for, for it to be accurate enough, and for it to be, um, for or I'll give another example. But yeah, basically, sheer data as well as streaming, or uh, for it to be accurate enough, how can we be sure? How much can we be sure that this is? Uh, you know what, we, we know that this will work. Um, so another example is, um, I, I, I guess you guys are aware of how, you know, computer vision was done in the 19, uh, well, 2000 and 1990s. Um, you know, we're old enough. <laughs> have C++, uh, you know, you have C++ imaging engines, right? So for example, if you have an image of a cat, the way you would detect this is a cat compared to from a dog is you would say, you know what, we should expect whiskers and we should expect whiskers based on, we'll say this is the shape of the face and you would write that code. You would mm -hmm. write that code and you would say um, the, the shape is, it looks like this, two eyes, uh, nose uh, a bit like this and the mouth like this and we should expect whiskers here. And so you describe that in code and uh, that has to be done. Uh, and you would not know whether that's going to give you accurate results until you keep on writing for each different case. So you now see a different cat. It has longer whiskers or smaller whiskers, or it might have slightly different eyes. Now you have to write for that circumstances as well. And then you keep on. Now you have a cat which is slightly angled. It's it's looking different. You literally have to program or yeah. code for each possible. Yeah anomaly or just each feature or what have you so yeah. it's complex it's very complex so and unwieldy yeah it, tedious uh, it's just tedious so are, uh, you, are you sorry are you saying that we even with machine learning we're we still talking machine learning here yeah no no, no. so uh, what i'm saying is that it's okay. uh, it's not possible uh using the traditional computer vision tools but with machine learning it becomes easier because all we do is we say uh, here's a face. In fact, here are all the faces mm -hmm. of a cat. 
And then we say that go and uh, look at these faces and uh, learn how they look like. And then we want you to uh, build uh, a recommendation system uh, to let us know whether if we give you a new image, is it a cat or is it a dog? So what's happening in the background? Again, this, this is just my simplest, simplistic view on this. What's happening in this background is you write some basic rules into the machine learning engine. You um, then give it the source data, i.e. pictures of all the cats. Yeah. And if that date source data is poisoned in any way, shape, or form, the, the the machine learning algorithm will not produce the right results. You still have to give it relevant data. It couldn't just go off and do its own thing and figure its own th thing out. You still have to have a human involved at some yeah. point to to control that or to at least let it learn, give it the information it needs to learn. Yeah. So, for example, I'll give you a very simple example of how it does the recognition. Um, say you have a letter A, right? So we will stop it. Instead of cats, we'll go to something more simpler, letter A, mm -hmm. capital letter A, uh, in an image. And you have, uh, and that's all you have. So you have one box, white box, letter A, capital, and it's it's filling uh, the full whole box. Um, and we would say that, you know what, we want to recognize this. First, we want to train it, and then we want to recognize this. So there it would train it. It would basically say, okay, this is the letter A. The pixels are... It will try to turn the the picture into pixel values in terms of the the white spaces are zero and the black spaces are one, mm -hmm. and then it would basically uh, store sort of as in where the white spaces appear and where the white black spaces appear, and it would store store a sort of an image in terms of uh, what it actually looks like in the terms shape. of any yeah they would they would it store the vector essentially not the because a rasterization yeah. wouldn't really work very well right. in that yeah. instance. So, and then all of a sudden, when you have a different uh, shape, when you have a different uh, image of letter A, but this time it's uh, it's written with a different font or, and it's uh, uh, it's still capital. We have to stick with that for now. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's still capital. What it does is it, it's going to put the two images together and it's going to do, uh, um, it's going to try to take away, yeah, it's going to try to take away one pixel value against the other. And it's going to see what the values are. Mm -hmm. Now, when it matches A with A, it's going to have a very high score. It's, and when it matches A with B, it's not going to have a high score. So the way it does this recognition in terms of uh, A when, and B. But when it matches E with C, capital E with capital C, it's going to be very similar score, but lower than an A with an A. You, yeah, there's, there's, correct me there's if I'm wrong, but when it comes, thing. yeah, I was yeah. gonna say it's, it's it's definitely a probability thing. I mean, you're going to yeah. be getting a value or a statistical value, and it's, I'm assuming it's up to the humans to set what the threshold would be, you know, so you can pre prevent the false positives and the false negatives and things like that. So the yeah. idea is that, oops, sorry, <laughs> if you give it enough data, no. Oh. We we have been in. Is that if you give it enough data? Oh. We're losing Zane a little uh, bit. Sorry, you... Zane, your internet went a bit funny then. Um, start again with the data. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So if you have enough data, it will. And yes, obviously, it does depend on the algorithm as well. Uh, you would basically form a very high score of a particular letter. Now, it if you're saying that you know it's not good enough or the threshold is not high enough. That obviously is a problem, and that that that's when you enter the problem of you know you are 
uh, doing the machine learning engineering of how do you make sure you have the high score, you have the right score, and it it recognizes that image well enough, but you know general enough that it'll work for all the cats, things like that. So that's then the engineering of how do you tweak the algorithm, how what do you need to do, and uh, and how much data do you need to give, and what the data needs to look like, and do you need to you know do apply some functions to the data as well first, so that the data is different enough but still general enough, things like that. Yeah. Right. So what the the final output for the actual algorithm then? So the does machine learning output an algorithm and it may be a very complicated algorithm but is that what it does it, it eventually gives you this is the algorithm to recognize a cat. So it doesn't give you an algorithm I would because algorithm you would be like a you know step by step method of doing something. Yeah. What it out it's a bit of uh, you could it's basically weights or weights are exactly the variables when I, I explained you know you okay. have three mm -hmm. different uh, very, uh, conditions and you have uh, a number attached in front of say uh, two times likely uh, to you know uh, flood in this particular spot and three times likely to flood in this particular spot right so these okay. are the sort of three times or two times or two point one these are sort of weights or variable uh, uh, attached. Uh, attached to a variable, a number attached to a variable. That's all a weight is. And uh, what it does is it gives you the weights. Now, the thing is that uh, how what it looks like and what it does, that's the actual black box. Um, and uh, and how do we understand it? That's the actual black box. That's another question, I believe, in the... Yep. Uh, is, is it worth going into right now? Well, if you're naturally going towards it, why not? Yeah. It's, quite, it's quite interesting listening to just it, you monologue. We we normally have a lot to say on these podcasts, but we aren't, I said, as educated in these well, uh, issues. So Yeah, and the, 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 the thing is there needs to be a, demystifi a demystification here because, you know, we hear in, in the IT industry a huge bunch of fantastic things like the black box or the algorithm or the thing. And you made a very valid point at the start, you know, in the world of AI, there are a lot of different branches and each one of those branches goes deeper. I mean, it's, when you say that you're an IT professional, so many people assume you know how to fix their computer when reality, one of the things that you're actually yeah. doing is robot building, which has nothing to do with PCs at all. But there are tons of branches, just like when you say you're a doctor, you're a doctor of what? Psychology, you know, medicine, literature, like it, there's so many branches. So understanding that sort of delineation and demystifying it is important. So in your case, you said that machine learning is really, you have your machine and you say, give it a whole bunch of pictures, makes a difference what the subject matter is or what the data set happens to be. It's learn this. This is what I want you to be able to recognize. And then that is the machine learning side of it. And you said that this has gained popularity over the other branches. That's kind of what I'm curious to learn about is some of the other branches as well. What? Because I want to go back to what you mentioned. You said you would explain how they're separate. I want to know why the machine learning has taken the precedence over any other type of AI. Can I, can I hasten a guess as to why machine learning has taken over? It sounds to me, and again, I kind of knew this deep down, but it sounds to me like machine learning allows humans to produce really complicated results and really complicated um, outputs from huge amounts of data that would otherwise take a long, long time for a lot of humans to go through and um, output the same results for because it can process that amount of data because it's learning 
on the go, basically. You give it a million images of cats, and it can then identify any cat in the world hmm. at any angle. So the thing is that actually I do have an opinion in terms yeah. of why it, it got, uh, why it has become famous. Um, from And that's basically based on the sort of books I've read uh, of the recent AI history and what I've been trying to follow in terms of why this particular thing and why not other fields as well. Um, so the I would now I'm just thinking there are two things I'm, I'm trying to keep in mind of this, talking about black boxes and then talking about uh, why AI or why at least machine learning is, is, uh, has become really famous. Um, so I'll go with the, the idea why it has become really famous. Uh, the thing is that um, recently, or not so recently, uh, back in 19, late 1960s or early 1970s, there was, uh, you probably are aware, have you, uh, have you guys heard of the book or read the book, um, The Man Who Solved the Market? I've heard of it. I've, never, never I've read heard it. of it, but I've never read it. So it's it's that uh, it's basically that's the book you would uh, you would uh, in terms of AI history or at least the modern AI history where the, all the applications we have currently seem to be based on the work that was done by the people who is, who are described in that book. So it's basically about um, uh, a mathematician who goes and starts a hedge fund or quite a few hedge funds, but let's just say one hedge fund. Uh, so, and uh, what he does is he basically believes that, you know, we can solve the market. We can actually, in terms of beat the market and make a lot of money on the uh, uh, on uh, Wall Street in New York. Uh, and we can do that by mathematics. Now, a lot of people, you know, think that, and uh, they, they try to start that as well. But he basically, you know, did it. And the way he does it is that he basically first uh, goes and obviously believes that it can be done, right? Then he goes and hires a lot of mathematicians. He takes them from IBM. He takes them from all sorts of other top, uh, yeah, um, you know, uh, companies at that time and universities and university uh, um, departments. And he takes them, uh, puts them in one room, and then he just says, "Okay, we need to solve this problem." Now the next thing is not that they solve the problem. The next thing is that they actually fail for 10 years or so. They keep on failing. They make money, they lose money. They make money, they lose money. Sometimes lose more money. And, uh, and the, so the, the person who launches, the mathematician is Jim Simons. And he has other technological, we could say startups as well. Mm -hmm. So he's making money from others and he's, he's still thinking whether it will work or not. And so they, the, the whole sort of company, the whole hedge fund, the group of, group of mathematicians, they fail for a very long time. But soon enough, because they have been in the game for such a long time, they do succeed. And they then they machine make, learned. And they, they succeed. <laughs> it's to such an extent that they make billions. Then they are successful and no one has ever tried, uh, has ever been successful in actually, um, you know, reproducing their results. So one of the things that they did was, they did they did that they basically analyzed data from a very long time so what they did was they analyzed data in terms of say we have a, a economic downturn you know for example we have coronavirus the way they would uh, analyze that is that how did something uh, similar uh, an epidemic uh, affect the markets so they would analyze they would see how much data do we have do we have data from 1800s or back further back they would collect that data 
they would put that into their algorithms and they would see you know what how does it um how does that data uh what does that data mean and how do the markets react based on that event that happened in the past can we learn anything from it and uh, so that's the sort of thing they are doing they're doing exactly what we would say today you know the data science practice so they were doing exactly all you would, you would read it and you were like thinking well that seems like you know someone a company doing that in uh, 2019 <laughs> but it they were doing yeah. we've had someone mention trading bots currently in chat yeah. as well so and but that was being done back in 1980s when the whole world mm. was thinking there was ai winter you, there's no way you can actually use ai to do any practical thing other than probably ocr which is still very limited um and but they were doing very very complex things and they started to make money and they obviously had enough money to invest in bigger machines and stuff and then obviously the idea leaked into the market and uh, all of a sudden it seems that you know what all the other companies are trying to replicate uh, that at least not only in uh, in the world of investing but also in all the other technologies such as facial recognition and um, uh, all the other things that we currently use ai for is it is it safe to say then in some time in the future forgetting about the catastrophizing of of ai if we think about the actual practical use for that if they can perfect an algorithm or a, a machine learning algorithm that um, that tells them how the market's going to react to every potential situation that can occur. That means that at some point in the future, it may be decades, it may be hundreds of years in the future, they will be able to predict the outcome of almost any potential event, or uh, not just on the markets, but on anything. They could, they could essentially predict the future with AI to an extent. So the, the answer is no, and, and I, really I, I, ha I have to jump in on this one. Do you know why I think the answer is no? Humans are messy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. In the end, Chaos we are theory. not. <laughs> we exactly. We are not perfectly ordered in any way. The fact that we even exist is a freak of nature. So you know, simply put, we are way too messy for pure prediction and you know future craft. We're not going to have our little you know eight balls that we wake up in the morning and go, "Is today the day that I need to go into the office because something amazing will happen on the stock market?" No, I'm going back to bed. Like we're not capable of doing that. We're way too chaotic. That's so the, why I think the answer is no. <laughs> the the answer I actually got from that book. You'd be surprised. It would be. It's really amazing mm. to know. So the thing is that uh, the reason, actually, the reason, what, or partly, or like a good chunk of the reason why they were successful uh, was. Yes, there is machine learning, and they, yes, they are you know trying to predict the market. But market is very chaotic because not of uh, uh, there are humans in it, but because there are so many different kinds of branches within the market. For example, there's agriculture, there's computers, there are all sorts of different companies. There's oil, there's gas, there's um, everything that affects humanity is on the market, right? There so, are new markets as well, though. They're yeah, as well. they're emerging ones, absolutely. So, there's just so much in the market that it's simply impossible to predict it, even at that time, even right now. The only reason why they were successful is uh, it's basically, uh, it's pretty simple. It's very interesting. They were able to uh, find patterns in all the data they had from 19, uh, 1800s that uh, 
humans, how they react to bad news is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Basically, understanding human nature is a thing. Would you also say, though, because Voltrack from our chat brings up an interesting point, do you think that there's also limitation about that kind of predictability, a bit like weather? So we have massive systems that are constantly used to predict weather, but they're only accurate up to like three days before the entire prediction just kind of scatters and peters out. It's really hard to go past a certain... I'll call it singularity because we're talking about AI. Yeah. So, you know, is it possible that that's also got an impact as to why it would be impossible to make that kind of future prediction? Or if there is, it would have to be really short term. It it appears that the way they would do that, so for example, if we say take coronavirus, what they would try to do is say, you know what, we know coronavirus is affecting the markets and they would uh, and they would know whether to buy or sell. Right now is the best time to buy because everything is cheap. And uh, the way what they would do is they would basically look at the previous epidemic, which was as big, say, the Spanish influenza, 1918. And they would look at how did that affect the markets? What was what happened and how did the people or how humans reacted? Now, the reason is that the reason why humans are predictable in this particular sense is that there are a lot of investors who are uh, who are very emotional. And as soon as they see, oh, the market is going down, they would sell. So they're risk adverse. Very high yeah. adversity. So it's basically uh, the how a lot of investors who are trying to make money because they're quite small. They are they they don't actually have they're not Warren Buffetts. They're you know they don't know how <laughs> uh, they or they don't have the patience whatever you may call it. But the thing is that the, it's simple that how they react to the market seems to affect the um, the prices. Now they would take that. Now another thing I just want to mention before uh, you know the uh, the answer to whether they will be able to predict a lot of the future events or not. So here's a here's a quote I really have to read uh, on this podcast from that book. So it, one of the guys who is uh, one of the main mathematicians who is now say the CTO of the company, but at least at the time in 19 or 2000 something, um, he basically is explaining the algorithm right to his clients to billionaires who have a lot of money who just want to give them all the money to increase. So he's saying that we are right 50.75% of the time. <laughs> and then he says, but we are present, we are 100% right 50.75% of the time. And we can make billions this way. So they're only right. They have to. So the way they do they it, they push that margin just over, and that was just enough. But they they know that the, to in order to keep consistent at fifty point seven five, all they have to do is they have to make a very they have to make small bets or small investments, but a lot of them, ridiculous number of them, and they would know that you know in this huge, uh, say uh, distribution, we know that we will be right uh 50.75% of the time and that's enough so the machine is wrong so many times 40 you know well almost 50% now the thing is that that's quite interesting that they are only able to beat the market at a very small margin not even a big not even on 1% but they're able to do that they know they now know that they can do that uh and that's that's the that's enough to make billions for them yeah so to, to for us to think, oh, you know what, 
for or for us to be scared. Oh, AI is going to take over. Look, it's making billions for our company. But you're like they're only getting about fifty, less than fifty. You know, they'll well about fifty percent uh, of the decisions correct. And if it was fifty percent, they're right fifty percent. They'd be making zero money. They are making fifty percent. They're losing fifty percent. But that's the that's the thing, which is that although yes, they had a huge success, and it is to do with machine learning as well. What I'm trying to say is not that they are they were very successful. They made billions, and everyone should be doing it. What I'm trying to make the point is that. Uh, the practice of AI was used in investment for that particular particular purpose, and uh, but they obviously had other tactics. They saw that you know they have to do certain things here and there to Don't make them. Don't put all your eggs in the AI basket and expect it to yeah. handle all of the things for you because yeah. it's AI is a tool just like anything else. Yeah, that's it. And yeah, it should be part of your tool set, not the tool. So yeah. we have we have. Um... We're coming towards the end of the show. So can we maybe cover on the black box stuff that we sure. were referring to? So can you explain it to start off with? Sure. So the black box is, as I explained, is basically you have a lot of weights. And uh, and so the idea of black box is it, AI will make a prediction. But uh, you do not know why it made that prediction. That's why it's called a black box. And you're trying to find out how can you how can you find out what the reason was? Now, that's the impossible bit. The reason why it's impossible or why it's not relatable is that it does not have uh, equa an equation or a few equations which solve or which let you know why it arrived at that decision. For example, if someone, uh, if, you are, if you have a lot of data and you basically uh, you put that into an, a machine learning model and, and that data is for, say, uh, um, used for uh, uh, knowing or uh, implementing uh, a credit. Um, so if you, whether a person should be given a mortgage or not, that sort of usage. Now you are obviously putting that data in and then you put this new file in as in, should this person be given a mortgage or not? And the AI basically replies no. And then you have no reason, uh, it doesn't give you a reason why. And you have no reason in the system to actually know what the reason is. Now that's black box. Sounds like CEST. Sounds like the uh, IR35 tool. <laughs> you know what? Do you know what it sounds like to me? And this is um, a, a, a severe abstraction to it, but it sounds to me almost as if the black box is the emotional core we humans have because we can give you a reaction, but we can't always tell you why we're giving you the reaction that but we're giving you machines are not emotional bringing up scott i know i know i'm not but, saying it's no, the I'm, emotional but, cortex but that, i'm saying it is like that because this doesn't it make an any sense to me then this this doesn't make any sense that if a machine which works on zeros and ones and works on code and works on algorithms no matter how it gets mm -hmm. to creating this algorithm there is a path that it takes down the code to get to an answer, a result. Why does this black? I still don't, I don't fully understand. That's, that's a very good question, and that's the exact question that people have, uh, and which has basically led people to solve it. So the good news is there is a white box. A white box. Okay. Excellent. So the the reason why I was leading up to that, I was explaining what the black box is. Yep. Now the thing is that. People and uh, here's the thing: exactly what you uh, uh, you know mentioned that it's a thing we programmed. How is it possible it can come up with something we don't understand? 
So I, mean, I can understand that we wouldn't understand it, but yeah. we should have the path to yeah, be able to understand, you know, understand it immediately. But to get to yeah. the point where we can look at it, analyze it, maybe spent ten years looking at the the reasons yeah. that it got to that point, because the the tree structures that it would produce, I imagine, would be immeasurably right. complicated to get to some particular, you know, some particular outcomes. Yeah. Um, and by trees, for those who don't know, it's decision trees. Yeah, yeah. so decisions that okay. it makes to get to a point. Loads of if statements, loads of while yeah. loops, you know, that kind of thing. Or, you know, we're denying you a mortgage because you happen to meet a certain threshold where we know people won't pay back their mortgage yeah. or, you know, something like they die before they can pay the mortgage yeah. back or you just have a bad credit score. <laughs> yeah. So the the white box is, is basically the, the, it's quite what's really nice uh, before I go into the black box is obviously there are researchers who are trying to uh, have algorithms or create algorithms on top of AI which can solve that issue, which can solve a black box and give us the reasons. Uh, and uh, by reasons, it means give us an, uh, an equation, which, you know what, we can take the numbers from uh, the same data or a different data set, and it will give us uh, the variables. You know, I mentioned in the beginning that the actual variables uh, uh, for that, uh, for, for an equation. No, and that's something which I was actually recently attending a talk in, in London. Uh, and that, that's something basically um, uh, people are within the uh, Alan Turing Institute and, and uh, institutions connected to um, uh, Alan Turing Institute, uh, they are working on. And what they are doing is that they are basically looking at how can we create, and they have been successful at uh, quite a few black boxes. Now, and I think it's it's probably a matter of time that it'll actually come to market uh, and you can actually use it for, uh, uh, like I say, a normal, you know, um, a commercial purpose. Um, and what it does is it basically looks at the black box and it then runs algorithms on top of the black box to understand the black box itself. Because the black box, obviously, you just mentioned, it's quite complex. It's going to have some sort of a tree. And uh, and then it basically creates an equation out of that. It will create a very complex equation. Uh, but once you have an equation, then you can simplify it in terms of okay, you know what we want? We want something linear. We don't want to, and we are happy to lose the results. So things like that, it can actually do. It can actually work. Yeah. See, I was just about linear to say. Model, I mean, yeah. the moment you once the moment you have an equation, and that's generally what you're doing with machine learning, is you're trying to develop some kind of equation to solve a problem, whatever that problem may be. But once you have an equation and you put it out there, there are a lot of things that can be done with it. Like, at at what point do you no longer need that black box because you have okay. your equation? You know, there's there's something to be said for the demystification that is brilliant, but also. Should we fear that our black box overlords are going to rise up and come at us because we're taking their jobs away? Not giving in this them instance. To humans? I, I'm, so, I am being incredibly sarcastic but, here. The, but there is a real worry about AI in the more general sense, as we talked about right at the beginning. But in this That's instance, true. absolutely not, because it's under so many constraints and has so limited data. It might have... It might have lots and lots of data, but it's lots of very specific data. As we said, it's scoped to the exact problem that they're tr that's trying to solve. I, I was trying to be really silly and I, fun. I understand that, Josie. I'm trying to explain to people that this is why AI, that in its current form, is not really a problem. Yeah. You know? <laughs> don't worry about Skynet, folks. Seriously, yeah. don't worry about it. So the thing is that uh, about uh, the why do we need a black box? The thing is that actually the algorithms we have currently 
are they only work off a black box. So you do need to get to a black box and need to have a like a sophisticated good well not a good black box in the sense that it it's giving you a very high level of accuracy of prediction. And once you have that, then the algorithm basically works off that black box and then tries to understand it. It's not it is, it's not possible that the algorithm is going to try and work off the data and get rid of the black box. It's, it's just not possible. Uh, the other thing is that in terms of um, whether we should be worried of, you know, whether AI or if whether AI would be worried, the thing is that currently AI, even say the self-driving cars are, is, is very limited. And that's one of the biggest issues of the engineers working at self-driving cars companies. So Tesla, Uber, and all these companies, the biggest issue they're facing is that it simply cannot generalize enough. It will only be limited to the data we give it. How can we give it less data? And it needs to generalize like a human that, you know what? Without, without. Yeah, it can only generate algorithms that you give it data for and give it parameters for. Um, yeah. And also, not just Edge the, not just the data and the parameters. It's that you have to actually give it that initial. This is kind of how you need to perform. This is how you need to do it. You know, this is how you need to determine if there's a. I mean, yeah. I've I've when we've been talking, I've actually thought of two particular instances where last year I was involved with AI related um, at work. One was. I can't go into too much detail because most of it's NDA, but one was a, a machine learning algorithm that I was desperately trying to stay away from because it was a lot of st- statisticians and mathematicians and academics that I had literally, I was well out of my depth with, but I knew system architecture and I was trying to design the uh, software systems for the algorithms to feed into. Um, and another one was, um, I, I can't really tell you much more about that. It's extremely kind of endeared, so I can't even tell you the kind of work it was. <laughs> but um, the the other one was um, self, well, self-driving cars. It was essentially in big cities where they, I was actually directly involved in working with aggregate data on ed, edge and fog networks where we pulled in data from, I was working on some proof of concepts uh, for a new, a new piece of uh, piece of technology was being put into a, a rather large enterprise system. Um, and it was working with billions of lines of data coming in, you know, over a period of like 100 seconds or something. And it had to aggregate that data. And I was using proprietary edge hardware and uh, some edge kind of software and messaging systems and, and designing the architecture around it. And dealing with that data, aggregating it and figuring out how to uh, how well basically when to apply the brakes on the car you know yeah. uh, and I'm luckily I wasn't involved in the production side because god knows how much insurance I'd need for that kind of thing but yeah. you know, the, the, the company that I was working for directly involved in that and that was is really interesting to look at it that way that's big big data that's yeah. data that's almost discardable you know to a point it needs to be logged but apart from that it's uh it's it's a fascinating topic, although I will state we are pretty much towards the end of our show. Yeah. So is there any last thoughts you want to say? Zane, you're going to be back. Obviously, this is a topic that is fascinating, not just for, you know, the debunking and the demystification, but in the practical applications. I don't think people realize how impacted they are by these black boxes and these machine learning platforms and AI in general. So, you know. You'll be back, but is there any last, like, say, one thing you might want to say to sort of help sum up any points you might have wanted to get across just today? So 
Uh, yeah, actually, we, we talked a lot about AI. I think the last point would be something very interesting. Um, I would say that um, although, yeah, you know, AI is great. Uh, however, there are a lot of companies out there who are thinking, do we need AI? It, you know, maybe we just throw AI at it and it'll solve and stuff, things like that. But from my experience, most of the industrial, uh, most of the problems in the industry or in the commercial world can be solved without AI, can be solved with simple but very good software techniques. And, uh, and that's, just, that's something where you have to really un understand, you know what, it's, it's not an AI problem. And the first thing you should always do is look at, can we solve this without AI? And then try to go uh, towards that. And if not, then obviously you do need AI, then you basically go into the AI route. However, I can hear a lot of marketers going, but we want to be able to tag AI. You know, we're AI people. We're selling our products because we have AI features. Uh, I could just hear marketing people crying. <laughs> but yes, we are at the end of our show. Um, I am getting a tiny little bit of feedback, so I'm going to pull back just a little bit just in case. But um, we're at the end of our show. Massive thank you to all of you in Twitch chat for joining us. Thank you for everyone in the future who's listening to the podcast. Finally, Zane. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed your show and your time here. And before we let you go, I want you to pimp yourself and any projects you want. But I also want you to share something that you may have learned this week. A little bring your own manual to the rest of the world. Uh, in terms of pimp myself, I would say I am a data strategy consultant. So uh, I'm, I'm basically... Uh, so that that's the sort of work I do in terms of analyzing whether do we need data? We do, do we need AI to solve a problem? And if do if we do, then how do we solve that? So uh, and I basically help companies within that sphere of how do we how can we use data uh, before we take you know bring in AI? How can we use that data to actually make money and to solve business problems? Um, so that's the sort of work I do. Uh, you can check out my uh, LinkedIn and uh, uh, and Twitter. Um, so yeah, that's, that's about it in terms of learning, I would say, uh, I'm not sure. I think I would say, yeah, actually, um, there are, there are a lot of simple AI tools out there, which are accessible with a APIs. So you all, all you have to do is basically sign up to the APIs and you can, you know, most for most of the simple stuff, uh, if you're, you know, say Chris, if you're working on uh, a customer wants some simple OCR, but uh, a good OCR, or they just want to be able to, you know, scan an image and know whether th this image ha contains, um, you know, digits or what digits there are. Read the image. That sort of simple stuff. There are APIs for that. And uh, for example, Google Cloud API or even Azure APIs, uh, Azure Vision API, I think. And uh, they are very powerful for most of the needs for most of the um, things you could think of. I had, uh, my wife and I had a, a discussion a few years ago, and it probably exists somewhere. I think Hulu have implemented it, actually, if not other, like Netflix and other kind of streaming services have done it now. Um, we wanted to be able to pause a TV program or pause the TV at any moment and immediately see the IMDB images uh, and, I, sorry, IMDB profiles for all of the people that are on the screen. I bet that already exists, but if it doesn't... It does. All right, okay. It does. Uh, Amazon Prime, actually, or Amazon itself, I believe has, I think it's called like X-Ray or something else like that. But if you pause the screen, 
whatever actors are actually known in that scene itself, there is a, a lot or like a, a column on the left hand side or something like that, that puts the name, a picture and gives you a quick link or says also known for or has been in. And but you I'm can actually dig I'm, deeper by just clicking a link and going. I'm assuming there. that that essentially has to be AI in order to do that because there's so much there's video no content way for out hand there. Yeah. There's no way to hand you couldn't it. you couldn't manually go for when you could, but you'd leave well, a lot of people uh, to manually quite go simple. Yeah. So that's no. that was something that I wanted to yeah. to put together a while back, and there was a few other little things. It already that I exists, for, but it Chris, already exists. Right. I missed the ball on does it. <laughs> okay. What about you, Chris? Anything you learned this week? Oh, um, so yes, I I didn't learn it this week because this week I have uh, not really. I'm not, I've been doing a lot of um, scripting and a lot of, I'm still doing this migration, so I'm doing a lot of uh, things that I already knew. But a few weeks ago, I learned about Git repositories. I learned something I didn't know, at least intrinsically, about Git repositories. Um, I'd heard the term a bare Git repository before. Have you both heard of the term bare Git repository? No. As in no. B-A-R-E. So uh, a, a bare Git repository. Um, if you've worked with Git, there is a .git folder within your Git repository, and that contains mm -hmm. all of your metadata for the repository and all of the objects and all of the references and all of the heads, and it, it points to, it controls the repository locally and remotely. Now, a bare Git repository is that folder, but you can instantiate a bare Git repository from any other repository, and you can't, you don't get a working copy because Git does not. And I, I knew this anyway, this part anyway, but I didn't know how... The, where the bare Git repositories sat. I didn't know how they actually um, worked or why they existed. Um, so when you when you create a bare repository, that you cannot work in it, you can't push to it, you can't set remotes, you can't, well you can set remotes, but you can't do anything with the files because the files don't exist. Because Git does not hold a copy of the working folder. It, Git holds a copy of the entire history and it builds up using trees, using, um, uh, I forgot the name, I forgot the exact name of it, but they, it builds up the files in your working folder when you check out from a remote repository from the history. And it sounds a bit odd, but that's why Git is so quick, because it doesn't hold a copy of the files. It holds a reference to any file that's in the, repo in the repository, in huh. the actual bare repository. So most things like GitHub, um, Azure, DevOps, any anything that has you know Bitbucket, etc., they are bare Git repositories. When you check them out, you can either check the bare out or you can check out the working copy, which is the general Git clone command that we run when we do a clone, and, and it creates essentially on your local machine the repository as it sits. So you imagine a really complicated repository. It's really quite interesting. And I also learned another thing about that today as well, where um, it was actually yeah it was actually today i didn't realize but if you had two let's say binary files or two text files that are exact copies of each other within the same git repository that have the same sha commit um they essentially just reference the same object so you can copy the same file 5000 times within the same git repository if you really wanted to and it would only store it once and it would just store a reference to it everywhere else so there you go bit of git history that, that is, bit of git interesting that is yeah, that is absolutely fascinating. And we actually kind of got two for one with you today, Chris. I'm just whew, Well, yeah, yeah, two Git things. But the, the, the thing that I learned today, which I didn't get onto until just then, was the icon thing. So if you had an icon or you had a, an XE or something like that, or even a, even a text file, I think, 
um, if they've never changed and you've you you know you've kept a, a direct reference to that file, it, it just references the file. But the other stuff I kind of kind of knew from a while back. But right. yes, so it's interesting so it, the inner inner workings of Git. Yeah, and in my particular case, um, for those of you who are into IT automation in some way, shape, or form, or who are interested in learning a bit more about Ansible, um, there is a particular writer with Ansible called Jeff Gearling. And due to everything that's happening, and we hope you all and your family, your friends and your coworkers, everyone are being as safe as you can during this pandemic. But um, throughout April, his DevOps books are free. So if you wanna learn more about Ansible, or you wanna understand a little bit how to make automation work for you in the IT world, his books are free and I will have the link for you in our show notes. But if you just head over to jeffgearling.com, that's J E F F G E E R L I N G.com. Um, you can read his little post about how his books are being made free. Thanks to device 42. But if you want to either learn brush up or whatever, I believe he works for red hat too. So, you know, getting it from, so they say from the mouth, Oh, Red Hat, the thing. worst Linux distribution. On, it depends only because on who it turned, you ask. Only, only because it turned commercial and then the Linux, uh, the Linux community went, no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know that Ansible is part of Red Hat, right? Is it? No, I didn't know. Didn't know. I haven't used Ansible. Well, I, think, I, I believe Ansible is actually owned by Red Hat. That's a thing. Um, yeah, if you actually go check up on Ansible and stuff. But the thing is, it's about automation and stuff. But his DevOps book specific are free. So if it's something that interests you and you want to get into, I highly recommend it. Plus, I believe during this quarantine time, he is also doing a lot of live streams on YouTube to introduce the topic and to educate. So, you know, you can also Bolsh jump Bolshra in. has just like linked that. it in chat as well. So I'll... Uh, I be, yeah, there you go. The chat is present there and that is indeed it. And it, it is in our, so it'll be in our show notes, etc. too. But yes, we are literally now at the very, very, very end of our show. We are. And go so, for it, Chris. It's so all it's, on you because I did it all backwards today. You did. You did. It's time for us uh, to do our pimpage now. So uh, you can visit our website at www.dnistream.live. You can find links to all our podcasts, all of our pod channels, or whatever you call them, all you kids, and uh, uh, all our discovery links. Uh, discovery links for <laughs> Discord. Sorry, lost Josie then. Pod <laughs> channels. <laughs> Discord, wow. YouTube, everything else, all of our social media is on there. Um, you can use it to contact us as well. We can definitely confirm that the contact form is working now because we got some spam this week from somebody who wanted to sell us some services. Um, it was a real person, though, because we've got Capture on there. Um, and you can use it to get in touch with if you want to be a guest on the show, you've got any comments, you've got any suggestions, or you just want to send us a nice message and tell us uh, and set some fireworks off or something. Lots of fireworks going on outside. Is this Is this a... Celebrate this the is, NHS thing. This is, it's, it's still a continuation of the celebration right. of the NHS. So 8 p.m. here in the United Kingdom, you'll sometimes get people putting off fireworks or cheering loudly in the street or something in celebration of all of our frontline healthcare workers. Um, and lastly, please do not forget to follow us on Twitch above. Click follow if you haven't followed us already and you'll get notified when we go live with our development streams, which we do at least once a week, or our podcast, which we do Thursday night, if you're watching live. 
Yes, and we hope to see you all next week on Thursday, 7 p.m. UK time. Or if you want to join us for actual live stream coding, Wednesdays from 1 to 4 p.m. UK time at twitch.tv slash stream. And remember, if you like what we're doing, spread the love. And if you actually have an opinion on a topic in the world of IT and development, get in touch. Come on the show. Let's talk. As you can see, sometimes Chris and I are perfectly okay not knowing everything. Right, Chris? Perfect? Yes. Uh, thing is, the thing is, when I don't know something, I really want to go off. After this show, I've got it in my mind now. Well, I want to go out and I do a little AI project because I'm really quite excited about it. I like learning yes. about new things. But the thing is, practically, I have no bloody time to do that. I have no time <laughs> unless I'm going to do, unless I've got a very specific use case for something, and I, and I want, you know, I've got, I want to learn a new framework, or I want to learn AI, or I want to yeah. figure out something in Azure that's come out new. Or, I, I just don't have the time, and I really wish I did. We definitely all need more time. But yes, all that's left is from us here, uh, documentation not included, to say goodbye, and we'll see you next week. So goodbye, Chris. Goodbye. Goodbye, Zane. Goodbye. And goodbye from Josie. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.